I invite you to turn again in your copy of God's Word, this time with me to the New Testament. Uh, Our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 12. You can find this on page 816 if you're using uh, the Pew Bible on the rack in front of you. Our text is the first 14 verses of Matthew uh, chapter 12, uh, both of which are stories or accounts or narratives that deal with the topic of the, the topic, excuse me, of the Sabbath day. Now, what is Jesus doing or not doing on the Sabbath day? What does it have to do with what we do or don't do uh, on Sunday uh, today? You'll remember we ended last week on the great glorious invitation of the gospel to come to Jesus, all you who are weary, who labor, who are heavy laden, And he will give you rest. It is not random then that our Lord offers rest and then immediately gives us two accounts of the day of rest. We might say here is uh, maybe the most practical way in which we understand uh, his commandment in time and place uh, is a actual day set aside for that very rest. So as you follow along with me in your copy of God's word, Matthew chapter 12 Uh, Verses 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you go with me again in prayer? Our Lord, we come to a a text that's often confusing, that has often been rendered in the church as difficult to interpret. But I pray this morning we would not be uh, hung up on uh, this or that a matter of the ceremonial law. Uh, but Lord, we would see in these verses the continued invitation to rest in you. And we would heed that invitation about what that rest might look like. And what we as your children so need in this life and in this world. Lord, as we pray that you would show us the truth of the Sabbath so much more importantly this morning. We pray that you would show us the Lord of the Sabbath, that we might believe upon him and be saved. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. How important is it for us to rest? How important is it for you to get enough rest in your life? I bet most of you know uh, how many hours you probably should be sleeping each night, and I bet most of you don't sleep that many hours each night. (laughs) You probably know if you're a parent, the right amount of sleep our children are supposed to get so that they can uh, be the most happy and effective in their daily lives. Some of you might even have one of these smartwatches that actually tracks how much you sleep and tells you how good the sleep is or isn't good, and you start to worry about what your app's going to say in the morning, and so you sleep even worse that night as you worry about worrying about sleep. Maybe you've noticed sometimes driving down the highway, you can see some uh, big trucks, the big tractor trailers have pulled off on the side uh, for some rest, or you've been to a, a truck stop, and you've seen all of those trucks pulled over for their rest. It's not just because they've happened to be tired, they're Rest is mandated. Uh, Some of you, of course, know this. Some of our industries, uh, pilots, uh, some types of doctors, truck drivers are required to have a certain amount of rest in their jobs. The truck driver has to have 30 minutes, 30 minute break after eight hours of work. If he works a 14 hour shift, he needs to take 10 hours in a row off. There's certain amounts of days he has to have off after certain amounts of driving days. Why is that? Well, We know, of course, it's because it's dangerous for a tired driver to be flying down Highway 26, right? That's terrifying. But why do they need the rules? If we all know it's dangerous to be driving on very little sleep, why do we need the rules? Well, there's kind of another answer to that is that we won't rest without the rules, will we? We live in a type of world and a type of culture that is go, go, go. Produce, produce, produce. Buy, buy, buy. And even on your vacation when you're supposed to be resting, you should be spending a lot of money shopping or going to see something or going to do something. It is sort of this endless carousel of going and working and doing. And yet everyone on the carousel knows that we need to rest. And yet nobody can seem to get off. (laughs) And so we come to a gracious and kind saying of our Lord in which Jesus orders the Sabbath to give rest to your soul. He doesn't recommend it as a good practice. (laughs) He doesn't advise that you would be better if you took Sabbath rest one day in seven. No, Jesus orders the Sabbath. And you can think about order in two ways. He, he commands it, and then he, he shows us, he arranges, he orders the very way in which the day of rest is observed in order that your weary souls might find more rest in him. That's our main idea today. Jesus orders the Sabbath to give rest to our souls. We're going to work through this in a pretty basic way. We're going to look at the pattern. There's, we have two stories they really have the same pattern. They kind of go through the same steps. We're going to look at that, that pattern briefly. Out of that pattern, we're going to pull uh, a couple uh, principles that Jesus is teaching. And we're going to close with some application. So pretty straightforward way we're going to work through uh, the text this morning. First, look with me at the pattern. We have two accounts. One is verses 1 to 8. Another is verses uh, 9 to 14. They each begin uh, with a certain setting. Verse 1, Jesus and his disciples are in the grain field. Uh, verse 9, uh, they're in the synagogue. 
Maybe as we're reading this, it looks like this could have been the same day based on how these stories are used in the others of other gospel accounts. These are probably two different Sabbath days. But what's important is that both of these things take place on the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, the last day of the week. Grainfields, synagogues, Jesus, disciples, Pharisees, two different settings, same group of people. Both times, there are certain actions that take place. Uh, The action in the first scene is the plucking uh, and the eating of grain. So the scene, I think, is Jesus probably talking to Pharisees. As I kind of am imagining this, there's the disciples walking in front of him, and the Pharisees are telling to Jesus, look, those guys are eating the grain. They're plucking, I mean, they're walking along, they reach down and pluck some heads of grain, probably sort of thresh it just in their hands and pop it into their mouth. It sounds like a pretty gross snack, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, You know, I'd much rather have some trail mix or something than uh, eating just fresh grain like that. In verse 13, the action in question is the action of healing. There's a man with two hands. One of them is healthy. One of them is is withered, is the description. And Jesus, we'll, we'll see, heals the man's withered hand. Uh, what's sort of incredible about this story is the healing is, it's almost an afterthought, right? It's kind of got nothing to do, even with the story itself. It's an action that's lawful or not on the Sabbath, but no one seems to have any question. Wait a second, you just said it and the hand was healed? <laughs> it's like they already are so used to Jesus being able to do anything he can. Anything, it's under his power to heal. The assertion here, the, the, the crux point of both of these accounts is the question of the lawfulness of the action. Verse 2, the Pharisees saw it. They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is, quote, not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Uh, He uh, says in verse 10, they asked him, is it lawful to hear heal on the Sabbath? So there's questions of lawfulness. The law of the Sabbath found in the fourth commandment uh, says that we are to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And the big picture law is not to work, right? But under that heading, what about all this other stuff? And the Pharisees are known sort of infamously as those guys that are really good at making man-made laws. And they're really good at taking certain laws of God and adding a bunch of other laws to them. And explaining them in every detail and expanding the law of God. I mean, they, they were guilty of sometimes of what's called putting a fence around the law. As if to say, you know, the law says I can't go 45 miles per hour down Merriman, but the Pharisee law is you can't go 35. It's like an extra law, an extra surrounding fence, an extra burden, an extra rule. So the law in the Old Testament says no working on the Sabbath, no plowing or harvesting. That sounds a lot like work, doesn't it? But does that mean that a couple seconds of plucking ahead of grain, rubbing it between your fingers to thresh it and eat it, is somehow working on the Sabbath? The law forbids work, and yet is the act of healing a man with a withered hand a violation of that big picture Sabbath law. What's really going on in these accounts is not Jesus breaking the law of God. It's Jesus breaking the laws of the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees added all sorts of man-made laws and Jesus blew them up. (laughs) He did not care a rip for their man-made laws. Before we move on, we have to wonder what's going on in the hearts of these men. The Pharisees rightly have a bad rap, don't they? Sometimes we throw around the term, you know, well, she's a Pharisee, he's a Pharisee. We need to be careful about saying things like that. What we should really say is look in the mirror and say, am I a Pharisee? Do I have a Pharisaical, if I could phrase it that way, heart? Am I really good at nitpicking the sins of other people? I mean, these guys, this the day in which they were resting and walking with the Messiah of God, all they could think about was somebody breaking a little rule. I think there's a, a danger of a pharisaical heart in every one of us. It is a whole lot better at examining the sins of other people than it is examining the sins of our own lives. Jesus confronts the Pharisees both times, both accounts. Uh, he confronts them. The way he does it is to look at Scripture. The first account, he goes to verses three, in verses 3 to 5, he looks at the Old Testament. The second account, verses 11 and 12, he goes and looks at the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't say, come on, who cares about the law of God? He doesn't say, just ignore it, just dismiss it. That's just the old stuff. We don't care about the righteous laws of God. No, he does it. He, he goes back, and we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount. He restores the law of God in its proper place. And it's proper. He tears down the, the man-made mess. And he says, but, but look, there is a, a righteous and true and, and holy understanding of this law that is for the good of your souls. There are uh, some versions of denominations or Christians today that would say that the Sabbath has nothing to do with the New Testament church. That all the other nine commandments are carried over, but not the fourth commandment. Uh, and And... and What flies in the face of that is the amount of times that Jesus intentionally challenged wrong views of the Sabbath. I mean, over and over again, there's accounts in all of the Gospels. There's multiple accounts of different occasions in which Jesus provokes the the Pharisees in order to teach us about himself and about the Sabbath day. Jesus was serious about the fourth commandment. He just understood it in the right way. He taught it in the right way that the Pharisees had covered up and really perverted. So what is Jesus intending in these accounts to teach us about the Sabbath day? Well, I want to go from our pattern to our our principles. We have two accounts. We have two principles. They're sort of layered in the the story. The, 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 The surface principle are the laws itself about the Sabbath. But as we dig deeper and we see how Jesus constructs his argument, we see he's teaching us something so much more important than just regulations for his holy day. He's actually teaching us something about himself. So I want to see those two layers of principles. The first layer is the law of the Sabbath. What is Jesus intending to teach? He's intending to teach us about the law of the Sabbath. The fourth commandment still applies in Jesus' day. It still applies in our day. We understand that the, the resurrection of our Lord has changed the day of observance from the last day of the week, a Saturday observance, to the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, the Lord's day. 
Now, Sunday as the day in which we observe the one in seven principle of rest. Some people read these verses and they misunderstand Jesus to be saying, just throw out any type of law. And maybe there's some of you that think, and you know, in your heart of hearts, isn't any law just adding to my burden? Right? Didn't Jesus just teach us about getting out from under the burden of guilt and sin? And, and honestly, we can understand somewhat the burden of the law. Is it freedom in Christ just throwing off every single rule and doing whatever we want? Isn't that true freedom? Well, you'll remember last week, Jesus invites us to come. He invites us to cast off our burdens. And what do we take up instead? A yoke, an instrument of burden, (laughs) an instrument which we bear with and following Jesus on the path of discipleship so that we are unburdened of the crushing guilt of unmet laws. And yet we are called on the path of discipleship to follow after Christ, keeping his law. But in that gracious equation, his yoke is not burdensome, it is light. And we can say with John, as he says in other places, the commandments of God are not burdensome. So the, the problem here is not the question of lawfulness. Now, I think the hearts of the Pharisees are all messed up. So they're asking the question is not good. But the, 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 the question on the surface itself over whether certain things are lawful, the question's not wrong. The answers very well might be wrong. And they are wrong. I think the answers the Pharisees give. But the question itself is not wrong. The law does tell us that God's holy day is a day of rest and worship. So conscientious Christians aiming to follow after a gracious, gentle, and lowly Savior who calls us to follow him, bearing that yoke, aiming to keep his law, should rightly ask, well, how do we keep the Sabbath? We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to worship. But what about plucking heads of grain? (laughs) What about healing a man on the Sabbath? What about David eating in the tabernacle? What about the priests serving in the temple? What about pulling a sheep out of a pit? What about all of this stuff? Here's the principle Jesus gives us in verse 12. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There's our principle. They've asked him multiple times, is this lawful? Is that lawful? He tells us, here's his overarching principle. What is lawful? It's doing good on the Sabbath. Eating when you're hungry is lawful on the Sabbath. Priests serving in the temple, pulling a sheep who's fallen into a pit, out of a pit is good, and so it is lawful on the Sabbath. Certain theologians over time have understood that in these two accounts, Jesus is teaching us sort of two different types of good work on the Sabbath. Right? The, the first story seems to tell us that of the works of necessity, the things that need to be done, like, like eating and drinking. Right? There are certain things that are works of necessity that we can't do enough to prepare for and we can't put them off to the next day. They need to be done uh, for the preservation of, of life today. So they're works of necessity, and that's a good thing. Another type of work from the second account is a work of mercy. It is merciful to pull a sheep out of a pit. right? And if that's merciful, how much more merciful is it to heal a man on the Sabbath? 
the sheep in the pit, it's not really a matter of life or death. Theoretically, you could feed the sheep till the next day and it would be fine. There are actually some rules in the Pharisaical rule book that's just pages and pages and pages that say that you can't pull the sheep out, but you can put a ladder down into the pit and see if the sheep can climb out. Jesus cuts through the mess. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He says in verse 7, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You may remember this phrase. It comes up in Hosea chapter 7. He's already quoted again when he tells them, go learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The word sacrifice there is sort of a placeholder that defines any sort of ceremonial ritual in the Old Testament. So God desires mercy over the ceremonial rituals that are laid down in God's word. There's not a breaking of the law, but Jesus gives us a certain helpful understanding of it. He gives us sort of lens through which to see it and understand, we might even say, sort of layers or levels of priority. That God would not want his people to hide behind minuscule ceremonial laws. (laughs) That he wants us to be a people of justice and mercy. Not a people that hide behind procedure and nitpicking and crossing I's and dotting T's. We are a people of justice. I said that wrong. Dotting I's, crossing T's. <laughs> we are a people of justice and of mercy, following our God who desires for his people mercy and not sacrifice. That's our first layer that Jesus gives us, the, the law of the Sabbath, to do good. And at times that may mean works of mercy, works of necessity. But as he teaches these things, as he explains it, he gives us the second layer, the second principle here, and that is not the law of the Sabbath, that's the Lord of the Sabbath. Who is it who thinks they can correct the Pharisees and teach us all about God's law? Look how Jesus argues his point. He is teaching us something so much more important. At verse 3 and 4, Jesus is telling us that he is greater than David. Look at verse 3. Have you not read? You can read this if you go back to 1 Samuel this afternoon. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? He entered the house of God, that's the tabernacle, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So there's bread that's there, made fresh on a regular basis, placed before the Lord on the Sabbath day. It is only for the priests to eat. David shows up. He's on the run from Saul. He and his guys are hungry. He asks for some food to eat. All they have is a bread of the presence. He's not supposed to eat it because he's not a priest. They let him eat it anyway, and everything's fine. He's not condemned in the story. Now, it's unclear if that actually happened on the Sabbath or not. I don't think that necessarily did happen to happen on the Sabbath to make Jesus' point. His point is that the ceremonial law forbids the eating of temple bread by anybody but a priest. But But David comes... He is God's anointed king. He is on the divine mission given to him by his heavenly father. And it is appropriate on that mission for him to break the ceremonial law and eat of the temple bread. And if David could do that, how much more the true and better David, the Lord Jesus Christ? How much more does the mission of Jesus overshadow the mission of David? 
How much greater and grander is the kingdom of King Jesus than the kingdom of David? Therefore, how much more appropriate is it for his followers and disciples to break these man-made ceremonial laws on the Sabbath? Jesus is the true and better David. But it's not just David he compares himself to. Look at verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. He says, or have you not read in the law... How on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. So here's a a catch-22, right? What about the priests? They have to work on the Sabbath. So are they guilty of breaking the Sabbath? Of course not. Do you see how ridiculous that question is? (laughs) The very God who ordains the Sabbath and commands that the priests work in the temple on the Sabbath day. What Jesus is doing, he's calling out the ridiculousness of these 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 minuscule pharisaical laws that have tied themselves up into knots. If we follow their law on every little procedure and step, what do we end up with? We end up with priests violating the Sabbath. When in fact the true work The true work of the Sabbath day is work of rest is to gather with the people of God and worship. And the priests usher the family of God into his presence. And so Jesus could have made this point and he could have said, just like I'm the better David, he can do it. I'm the better priest. But you notice he doesn't say that. Look what he says in the next verse, verse six. I tell you something greater, not than the priest is here, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the greatest place on earth where the presence of God dwells is here in the person, work, and kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is not merely a greater priest. He is greater than the temple itself. Serving him, even on the Sabbath, is then lawful. So what is our second principle? Who is this Jesus? The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 8. If our first principle is it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath, our second principle is that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Think about this for a second. Think about the claim that Jesus is making. Who created the Sabbath day? Go back in the book of Genesis, beginning of chapter 2. It's God himself. God rests on the seventh day. Who writes down the rules about the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments? It is God himself on Mount Sinai. Jesus has come and he has said he is Lord of the very day that is created and instituted by God the Father. This is a divine claim. He's not just saying, y'all, I can set the rules on the Sabbath. I'm sort of the smartest one among you. No, he's saying it's my day. He has divine authority over the sacred day. This is why when the account ends in verse 15, the Pharisees want to destroy him. Because of the outrageous claim that he has divine authority over God's day. Because he's God himself. Jesus kept the Sabbath holy all of his days. Every Sabbath on earth, he kept perfectly the fourth commandment. In our stead. Jesus went to the cross. On a Friday night. He was taken down. Buried in the grave. And where was he on that most solemn of Sabbath days? He was at rest. In the tomb. He rose on the third day. He rose 
again alive. He ascended into heaven. He has entered the heavenly Sabbath of God that goes on forever and ever. And he now shows us that the Sabbath day that points to God, in fact, points to him. And his authority isn't just to tell us about the Sabbath. His authority is to give us Sabbath rest. He alone can give it. God alone through Jesus is the only one with power and authority now and forever to give to his restless people. Everlasting Sabbath rest. You see, that rest was lost in the garden. Adam and Eve, who lived and walked with God in the cool of the day, were expelled from the garden into a weary and restless world. And Jesus comes to restore that rest. Jesus comes to give the promise of everlasting rest. To keep the law in ways that none of us can keep. To receive the blessing of keeping that law and thus give that same blessing to us. He earns for us the Sabbath rest that we have broken in all of our lives. In thought, word, and deed. And we have sinned against God. The gospel of the Sabbath is that Jesus keeps it. And he gives us rest with his Father forever. So what does that look like today? What does that look like for you and me next Sunday and the next Sunday? Just a couple minutes. I want to give you some thoughts of application. Our first thought is that we need to recognize the Sabbath Lord. We need to recognize who it is who is the Lord of the Sabbath. I wonder how birthdays are celebrated in your house. Uh, because in my house, it's the birthday girl or the birthday boy who is essentially Lord of that day, right? <laughs> you get to choose the food we eat. You get to choose uh, what kind of dessert we have. You get to choose what activity we do, what movie we watch, and on and on, right? The birthday kid gets sovereign, well, not full sovereignty, but close to full sovereignty. <laughs> Mom and dad still hold a little bit of that. Over the day, right? What do we call, said the Sabbath, we call it the Lord's day. It's his day. You have six of them. He has one of them. And he orders the day. And here's what's incredible. On our day, our birthday, we give gifts. What does Jesus give on his day? He gives gifts. (laughs) The Sabbath day is a gift from your kind and compassionate father to you. Really, a restless and rebellious people. The Sabbath was made for us. That doesn't mean that we're sovereign over it. No, it means that Jesus orders it for us. He tells us how to rest. And it is a gift for us. Maybe you've heard sort of this, this cheeky phrase, it's not the Lord's hour, it's the Lord's day, right? It's, it's kind of corny. It's true, though, actually. That we keep the whole day as we rest in God. I would hasten to add, it's, it's the Lord's day. It's not the family's day. It's not your personal day. It is the, the day that belongs to the Lord. You, he has given you six other days to labor and do all your work. The Sabbath is a day holy unto the Lord. You see, the Pharisees had, had covered up the Sabbath with so many laws that instead of preaching rest, it just preached more burden, right? I, I fear that in our day, we have removed every law from the Sabbath, that we have also lost the rest that God gives us. Sure, endless laws obscures the rest and makes it exhausting, 
but no laws, no difference, no sacredness between the Lord's day and the other six days. We are also in danger of losing the gift that the Lord has given us. So as we understand how to apply these verses, we need to begin by recognizing who the Lord of the Sabbath is. And it's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. Our second word of application is we need to remember the Sabbath day. Now, that should sound familiar. Taking that straight from the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day uh, to keep it holy. Why do we remember? Because we forget. I think as a, as, a, as a people in a culture, we have very much lost a sense of sacred time. We have lost a sense of the divide in time between the secular and the sacred. Again, think about how you celebrate birthdays. What would it mean for your family, your loved one, if their birthday was nothing different than any other day of the year? You'd lose that sense of a sacred time. The Bible helps us, I think, remember the Sabbath day. A couple handles for you. Uh, one step to remember the Sabbath day is we empty the day. We empty it. The word Sabbath means to stop. It means to cease. We might call the Sabbath Quote, the stopping day, right? The world never stops. The, the merry-go-round, the carousel of commerce and commercialization, it, it, it goes non-stop, 24-7. Y'all, this is not progress. <laughs> it is glorious for our God to stop and tell us to get off. I said this last week, but Pharaoh, when he was... Uh, lording over the Hebrew people in Egypt, demanded that they make bread without straw, and he took away any rest that they would have in doing so. This is what the world does. It demands unceasing, unending labor. And Jesus would tell us to empty the day of all of that. I'm not going to tell you what to take out of your Sabbath. I'm just going to ask you to think about it. What could you say no to? What could you stop doing? Things that are fine and not sinful throughout the rest of your week. What could you say no to? I mean, maybe even this afternoon. What could you prepare for better this week so that you can say no next Sunday? Just as we we empty the day of our worldly thoughts and labors, Jesus instructs us to fill the day. What is the Sabbath to be full of? This to be full of worship. So we gather Sunday by Sunday. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship. God tells us to not forsake the gathering of the saints, to not forsake meeting together. I'm sort of preaching to the choir, not really the choir, but y'all are all here. And so the, the application is to come to church every Sunday. I'm grateful you're here today. Let me challenge you to go to church every Sunday that is possible for you. I would even invite you to come try out evening worship as a way to fill your day with worship. Of course, the Bible tells us we fill the day with rest. We fill it by stopping. Physical rest. Spiritual rest. Reading, praying, discussing. Uh, Even if to go back to our principle about doing good on the Sabbath, then that's service. Maybe it's visitation. Maybe it's volunteering in the ministries of the church. Maybe it's acts of mercy. Maybe it's hospitality, opening our home uh, for Sunday lunch. How do we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? We empty the day and we fill the day. 
But remember, the Sabbath day is not about the rules and the laws of the Sabbath. It's about the Lord of the Sabbath. And so our third and final application point is to receive the Sabbath rest. Receive the Sabbath rest. How many of you remember when you had young babies or young kids and they didn't want to take a nap, right? And it was the most frustrating thing as mom and dad because you knew the baby needed a nap and the baby would not take the nap. You knew it was best for them and yet they resisted that very thing that would restore them and would renew them. You knew they were a disaster without their nap. Y'all, we are like the babes. Resisting and rejecting that which our Heavenly Father says is good for us. (laughs) To resist His teaching on the Sabbath is to be that baby that refuses to take the nap it so desperately needs. What happens in all of these examples Jesus gives? What happens to hungry people? They're fed. What happens to the people who need to worship in the temple? The priests serve and they worship. What happens to the people who are sick? They're healed. What's Jesus showing us? He's showing us that the Sabbath is a day of restoration. It's a day of renewal. It's a day of nurturing. It's a day of of strengthening. All of these images show us that. They are pictures of our eternal Sabbath that are imaged and pictured for us in our weekly Sabbath. As the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 58, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, And the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A violated day of rest and worship is a poor foretaste of our heavenly rest. Dear friends, the church, as we gather and worship, is a foretaste of that rest. The world offers you no rest. The demands of the world are unending, but Jesus is different. Jesus has completed his work. Jesus has entered his rest. He demands no work of us. Instead, he calls us to come to him. What is the hope? For weary sinners, it's not a 30-minute break after an eight-hour shift. It's not two days off after five days at work. It's not a vacation. It's not a retirement. It's the never-ending Sabbath gift of God. We taste it today. We have it promised to us forever. Come to the Lord of the Sabbath, and he will give rest to your weary souls. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how much are we like those resilient and restless children? We know what's best for us. You tell us what's best for us. You give us an entire day of restoration and peace, of worship and fellowship and hospitality, of of doing good and honoring you, the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, forgive us for how we have gone astray. Forgive those of us myself included, who can have a pharisaical heart, judge others, and not turn that same microscope on ourselves. But I pray, O Lord, that you would burden the hearts of your people, that you would burden us to be 
eager for that same rest. That we would want it. That we would heed your words. That we would humble ourselves before the God who knows better than we do about how to use our days, how to spend our time. And I pray, oh God, as we as your people aim to follow you, trusting in Jesus, aiming to keep the Sabbath day, indeed you would use this day as a foretaste of heaven, a day of rest and gladness that would indeed restore our souls. Keep us, oh God, from caring too much about the rules and not enough about Jesus. Show us how much we need him this and every Sabbath day, we pray in his name. Amen.